but you need to push whether it's administration and forum, whether it's people in USG to recognize these issues and, you know, make an official statement, use your power correctly. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Joe Kotke talks about the recent subway protests against the NYPD and the MTA. Then, Kristen Skinner gives voice to students' issues with printing at Lincoln Center. Finally, Samantha Matthews speaks to the legacy of former Observer editor Casey Feldman. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. is Joe Kotke, who wrote about the subway protests. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, can you give us a quick rundown of what exactly happened? Yeah, for sure. So, um, especially in today's world, um, media definitely revolves around protests and activism. So, um, a series of emergency action protests against the MTA and the NYPD have begun to take place. So, basically, um, there was a gathering that was unpermitted of um, New Yorkers who basically wanted to take a stand against the um, war on poverty that the NYPD and the MTA are currently undertaking. And where did this protest take place? It took place in Brooklyn. Basically, there have been a few events that have been happening. And the first one was at J Street, um, as I stated in the article. So it was around the area of that, and it actually ended at the Barclays Center, which is the site of where many cops have been stationing. If I'm not mistaken, the event that led up to these protests, the one that sparked it, involved a teenager being harassed by police officers and even held at gunpoint simply for fair evasion. What exactly was the reaction like? The events leading up to that were complicated, and of course there's always more to the story. The NYPD thought that the teenager was armed and that's why he, he was held at gunpoint. Um, when they found out that he was not armed, they charged him on fair evasion because that's the only law that he had legally broken. So basically, at the protest and what most um, people who are speaking out against this think is that what is happening right now is um, broken window policing, which is basically the NYPD is undergoing um, targeting people who are... Um, partaking in crimes that aren't necessarily serious crimes, but um, are more evident and are more visual. So that goes from graffiti to fair evasion. Um, and they're trying to stop serious crimes by targeting people partaking in these crimes. And it's important to note, right, that this is sort of a racial issue for the city and that this sort of broken window policing has led to incidents like this happening and that the protests are sort of not quite the culmination, but certainly a resulting symptom of what the NYPD has been doing. Absolutely. If you look at the reports from the NYPD in the third quarter of 2019, and you look at um, fair evasion, which by the way is one-fourth of um, the crime that is being documented in New York, because that's what they're enforcing right now, 90% of the arrests that are happening for fair evasion are either black or Latino people. 
and then about 70% of the summons are being written, which um, result in about $100 fines for a fair evasion. 70% are Latino or black people as well. So for sure, there is a bias against people of color when it comes to this sort of policing. That is what the protesters and the activists are saying, yes. Uh, there's also the idea of the uh, additional 500 police officers that have been hired recently when the city is already going so far into debt. Yeah, well, and um, if you actually look into how that spending breaks down, um, the city is only sponsoring 200 of those 500 cops. So the MTA is actually using their budget, which they're already billions of dollars in debt, um, to sponsor paying for these cops. So what do we as college students, do you think, should take from incidents like this, especially people who are not from the city and maybe don't quite understand how the city functions on an ethnic level, on a racial level, on a sociopolitical level? Well, through writing the article, I got to talk to quite a few students who attended the event, uh, both from Rose Hill and Lincoln Center, um, as well as organizers of SJP and the Socialist uh, Student Coalition. And what all of them believe is that regardless of whether you're a native New Yorker or you live here now, you're a New Yorker now. And um, especially since Fordham is a prestigious institution within New York City, um, Students here, whether you are black, indigenous, a person of color, or you're white, like you have a re- you need to stand up for the people, because we're all we're we're all citizens here. We're all we're all New Yorkers, and you know New Yorkers have to stand up for each other for sure. That's what everyone across the board has been saying. So, what do you think is going to happen going forward? That's tough to say. Um, I know that uh, protests are going to be continued to be held and. Whether the city responds in the way that how activists are calling for them to, it's hard to say. I think it's a really tumultuous period right now in New York, especially with Mayor de Blasio just passing the law to put to build new prisons across the four boroughs, um, excluding Staten Island and closing Rikers Island. I think we're seeing a huge buildup of the military industrial complex within New York City. So it's really tough to say. Can you speak a little bit about the experience of those who are on the ground? What people at the event basically were doing is forming that community. What we see at events like this is dating back to the beginning of protests, um, a mic check sort of call where, especially when protests are unpermitted, there isn't any official speaker who has, you know, a stereo system. People pass a message back by repeating the person at the middle so everyone across whatever area you're in can hear and you're seeing protection you're seeing the white people go around the sides while marching just to protect the people of color because you typically see cops try to target those type of people um so you're definitely seeing that building of a community when you're at protests like these what was the general feeling on the ground i would probably say that the the energy of the people is very electric that's probably the adjective i would use because it's this is an issue that impacts everybody. So the people that are coming out to protest are extremely passionate about it. Um, So whether it affects you directly or indirectly, it's something that everyone can trust in each other here. Um, And like I said, it's definitely that very close community. What do you think that we as college students need to do going forward with these sorts of protests popping up right basically right next door? Yeah, what leaders of um, the activist groups here at Fordham are saying is that you not only have to use your own individual voice, 
um, whether that's you know going out and going to these protests or speaking aloud on your own social media platforms, but you actually have to call out those people in charge. And that was a big theme over talking to these people for this story is that you not only need to do that, but you need to push whether it's administration and forum, whether it's people in USG to recognize these issues and, you know, make an official statement, use your power correctly. Thank you so much for coming on, Joe. Yeah, thank you for having me. Joining me now is Kristen Skinner. Can you talk about what your article was about and just give us a general overview? So basically, my article was inspired by uh, Midterms Week because um, I visited the printers in Quinn Library that week, and I didn't have any finals or anything I needed to print, but I went to use the printers, and I had like four documents on my account I was ready to print, and all four printers in the downstairs area of Quinn Library were not working properly. So it could have been they just needed toner replaced or paper or whatnot, but I had no access to any printers. So I went upstairs and tried to print and waited like 20 minutes and still nothing printed. So I figured there was something going on. And so I kind of waited a few days and talked to a few people and we were all kind of agreeing that the printers that week just weren't working well in Quinn Library. And so after that, I contacted some of the directors at the library. So I met with the head of both um, Quinn and Welsh Library at Rose Hill. And then I met with um, like two assistant directors. And basically they informed me that a lot of the problems going on in Quinn Library have to do with the online print system which is actually taken care of by the IT department here at Lincoln Center. So it basically just informed me, and I wanted to kind of let other students know that a lot of the problems that go on here at Quinn Library are not necessarily any of the librarians' responsibilities to take care of. And so I kind of wanted to highlight the fact that the librarians here do like spend much of their time like trying to help us take care of any print jobs and stuff and get our work done and um it's not at all really a reflection on them when the printers aren't are down and not working and like during midterms week for example they spent like four hours out of their work day just contacting the it department trying to figure out what's going on. So, yeah, it's a big issue. Can you talk more about how people were reacting to this? Uh, Because issues with printing on this campus have always existed, and it seems like the problems keep persisting over the years. So how how is the community taking this? So I think it's generally just problems are usually met with frustration and lots of complaining because that's just how we are as college students. But... um, Like, I know myself, like, it's just really frustrating because you go, especially, like, if you're printing the night before an assignment is due, like, you just, and you're paying money um, to the university to print things, and then when you're paying and 
aren't getting any print jobs actually printed. It's just really frustrating and annoying, and I don't know what else there is to do. Like, you can go to the librarian and they'll refund you your money, but if you're not getting your paper done, then it's, like, kind of going into panic mode, basically. Uh, how are the faculty members taking it? Um, so the faculty members in the library are basically just as frustrated as the students, and also there's faculty members who go to the library to print, and I'm sure they're frustrated as well and generally just confused in terms of why do we have only printers in the library and how, if we can't rely on them, then like where else do we go? Because there's not many printers around the campus other than the library. What do you think are some potential solutions to the issue? Honestly, in my opinion, I just feel like we should have more printers throughout Lincoln Center. Like, um, in particular, the residence halls. Um, my roommates and I always joke what a trip it is to go to Quinn Library to have to print something and how convenient it would be to just have one right in McMahon Hall and one right in McKeon. And um, I don't know, maybe, like, there's printers throughout the building. Like, for example, between... Um, McMahon and Lowenstein there's a few but you students aren't allowed to print for them so it's still not convenient. As far as the general reaction is concerned how do you feel it going forward that the IT department can better communicate these issues with students so that they're not stuck in a situation where they want to go print and then they find out that they can't at the last minute especially during midterm seasons when everyone needs to use the printer. They could easily send out an email when the printers are down because I know the staff members immediate in the library immediately get an email that things aren't working. So why not send one to the students just to let them know or like post it on Instagram or just like send out a tweet or something just so like to get the word out that something's going on so maybe you should wait to print and honestly that could solve the problem too because I feel like a lot of the problems could just simply be caused on remote print due to the fact that so many students are trying to print at once. So what do you think Fordham should be doing going forward? Just getting more printers and (laughs) dispersing them so that but I don't I don't know maybe it also I think it also has to do a lot with just Pharos and like the whole online print thing that seems to be where we're running into issues lately it's just like the mobile printing is not working like they're telling students to go right to Quinn Library and use the uh, library computer specifically to print things so I don't know maybe we need a whole new system but I don't know I'm not an IT person so I can't really answer that do you have any final thoughts no I just think that as students we should be aware of the fact that workers in the library care as much as we do about printing and are trying to help us print um, and make things better with the printers here But also, as students, we're responsible to voice our concerns. So the more that we voice our concerns about the printing, both in the library and getting printers elsewhere, the more we can actually make that change happen here at Lincoln Center. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Joining me now is Samantha Matthews. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Samantha, can you tell us who Casey Feldman was? Yeah, so um, Casey Feldman was a student here at Fordham University. 
Um, she was the news editor from 2008 to 2009 at The Observer, and she had joined previously in her freshman year. Um, and then in the summer of 2009, she was about to enter her senior year, and she was in Ocean City, New Jersey, and she was um, struck and killed by a distracted driver when she was crossing the street. And what happened afterward? So afterwards, um, her parents and um, her best friend, um, Kelsey Butler and Elizabeth Stone, they all kind of, um, I mean, her parents wanted to do something in order to make Casey's memory have an impact and keep her memory going. So um, they began lobbying for um, New Jersey to change their pedestrian safety law. And um, the law had previously stated that people in cars must yield to pedestrians. However, they were instrumental in getting it changed to having them stop for pedestrians in crosswalks and unmarked crosswalks. So that kind of began their whole um, journey into advocacy about that. And um, from there, they um, went into forming this whole foundation, the Casey Feldman Memorial Foundation. And um, basically what they wanted to do was, um, I think her best friend Kelsey Butler said, um, they want to continue things that were important to Casey. So um, that were things like The Observer, student journalism, um, animals. Casey was really involved with animals. And um, just making sure that students had the ability in order to um, basically have everything that they would need in order to have a successful like journalism career or even just be successful in their own way, however that might be. Can you tell us more about what the Casey Feldman Foundation does? They do a bunch of things, but a main thing that they do is they provide scholarships and grants for um, Casey's local high school in Springfield, Pennsylvania, where they look at students' essays and they look at their volunteer work and they look for qualities that align with Casey and then provide those students with um, scholarships for college or grants to do um, like volunteer work. And then here at um, Fordham, they have a um, grant for communication students to um, have an unpaid internship. It's like a stipend. However, um, New York State's changing their laws on that, so they're looking to redirect those funds to um, the observer in different ways. Um, they also underwrite funds for observer to have speakers or go to conferences or have hardware and software. And then on the animal aspect, they um, sponsor different types of, um, they volunteer at shelters and they sponsor different types of events. Like they just sponsored a um, spay and neuter event at their local animal shelter so that um, people could spay and neuter their pets for a reduced price. And um, every year on her, um, they call the day that she passed her angel bursary. So every year on that day, they, um, they, do a day of service. So the most recent one was at an animal shelter, and I got to speak with um, Casey's boyfriend, Matt Thornton, and he said that, you know, they were able to clean up the shelters, um, organize the food that was donated, and kind of just like live life the way Casey would have, and kind of put that volunteer work back into the world and keep her memory alive. The foundation also works to sort of combat 
the dangers of distracted driving as well. Yes. Right. So um, they have uh, the Casey Feldman Memorial Foundation is the foundation, and then a project of that foundation is End Distracted Driving, which they refer to as NDD. And so basically, that's kind of um, championed and spearheaded by Casey's father, Joel Feldman. And he um, he goes out and he gives presentations and talks to schools all across the, the nation um, about the dangers of distracted driving. And it's not so much – I know personally I had a similar presentation in my school where someone came in and told you, be safe in a car – they give you a bunch of statistics about how, you know, like a bunch of people are killed every year. And that's kind of what they wanted to avoid because kids often tune out the statistics. So they kind of humanize the whole situation where they bring it back to, you know, you're a person, you're a respectful person, and there's nothing respectful about you being distracted while you're driving. And, you know, they kind of focus on Casey and how there are other a thousand people like Casey who were killed because of distracted driving and they want to kind of implement the fact that like you're a respectful person and you don't want to be that kind of person who will kill someone else's you know like daughter you just don't want to be that person and um you know they do it all without cost to the school everything is funded by them and a lot of their volunteers who do the presentations, because it's not all Joel, even though he does the majority, it's uh, they're all volunteers. So it's it's a lot of people who want to advocate against distracted driving. Can you speak a little about what Casey and her legacy mean for Fordham? Um, I think Casey and her legacy definitely means a lot to Fordham because you know, in my research, I was going back into her articles and, you know, they were very good examples of student journalism. I was speaking to Elizabeth Stone, who was the advisor, and she said that Casey was probably the best uh, student journalist she had seen. And um, Casey's father even said that, you know, in the weeks after Casey's passing, her observer colleagues came to um, express their condolences. And one thing that kind of stayed with him was that, you know, one student came up to him and said, Casey inspired me to say that everyone has a story and telling stories are important because that's how people get heard. And I feel like that kind of is something that resonates here in the Observer office, but also in the Fordham community, it's that, you know, to take time to listen to others and that everyone has something to say and judgments shouldn't be had before you have a conversation. Do you have any final thoughts? You know, I think just the way that her parents, Diane and Joel, went about the whole situation is really amazing because they turned such a tragedy into something that has sparked so much good. And, you know, within talking to them, it's not like they're they're bitter or they're upset with their daughter's loss. They're, like, so grateful that they have the opportunity to change other people's lives specifically like the the next generation of students samantha thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me this has been retrospect i'm kevin christopher obles we'll see you next time